So everybody is talking about how uh, uh, President Trump was booed by Nationals fans last night. They also shouted, lock him up. And if you haven't seen it yet, here's the, here, here's the clip of that. So listen, some people are upset by by that, but my point is you can't really blame them, can you? I mean, Trump did just kill a scholar, after all, an austere one at that. It's one thing to go around killing scholars, but to kill an austere scholar, of all things, uh, well, you just can't do that. So it's it's hard to blame them. We'll talk about al-Baghdadi's death and especially how the media reacted to it, including the uh, Washington Post's now infamous characterization, as I just alluded to, of the terrorist leader as an austere religious scholar. We've also got to talk about Kanye West, of course, and his new gospel album. Also, him him coming out as pro-life, which I think is the the more significant um, revelation over the last week about uh, Kanye West. And Katie Hill resigned. We've been following this story for the last week, so we're going to talk about that as well. But Katie Hill has resigned, the uh, congresswoman who engaged in absurdly unethical and probably illegal behavior. She resigned, but guess who is the victim? You're never going to guess who's really the victim in this story. We'll talk about all that and more. But first, a word from Brickhouse. Have you ever wondered why so many Americans are sick, unhealthy, overweight, between the, foods, the food supply and our lethargic, sedentary lifestyle, um, Americans are in the worst shape ever. What do you expect when we sit around all day on our beanbag chairs, um, you know, eating Twinkies, which I've never had a Twinkie in my life, to be honest with you, but I hear that they're not very healthy. Uh, th- uh, but when you do that, you're going to end up fat and unhealthy. And that's why the team of on-staff physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition created Field of Greens. Field of Greens is an easy way for you to add fruits and vegetables to your daily routine without spending hours in the produce section, hiring a home chef, or taking cheap supplements. As I've said before, with produce, you know, you want to make sure that, especially if you have kids and everything, the the people in the house are eating produce. But uh, it's really expensive. And uh, anyone who knows, who's ever been to a grocery store, you know how expensive it is. Field of Greens solves that problem. It's made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. It also helps boost your immunity using antioxidants and assist digestive health with prebiotics and probiotics. Um, It's like having a doctor and a nutritionist right there in your kitchen waiting for you. One scoop delivers a full serving of fruits and vegetables. Just drop, uh, drop it in a cup of water, stir it up, and you're done. It's as easy as that. Bottom line, this is real food. It's not extracts. You will look and feel better. Go to BrickHouseWalsh.com. Get 15% off your first order uh, just for trying it out with promo code Walsh. That's BrickHouseWalsh.com, promo code Walsh. All right, so Abu Bakr, um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, to make sure we pronounce his name right, out of respect for the dead. ISIS leader, brutal, savage, sadistic, mass-murdering rapist, was killed this weekend as you've heard, blew himself up like a coward uh, as American forces were closing in. The world is a much better place without him. And we can be quite sure on top of that, that the virgins he was expecting to wake up to after he blew himself to smithereens, uh, well, we can be sure that he probably was was, was disappointed when he he awoke. Um, There were no virgins. We'll 
we'll, we'll just say that. This is a great win for the good guys, for the world, uh, politically, for, for Donald Trump. But that factor, Donald Trump, combined with the fact that Baghdadi was Muslim, seemed to cause real problems for the media. It just, it kind of sent them, it, 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 they, they got all discombobulated based on those two factors. Uh, you'd think this story is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Scumbag terrorist dies, we celebrate. That's how it should be. But the media, well, for the media, it's never that simple, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. Uh, they can't give Trump credit for anything ever. Um, and also, they can never put identity politics to the side, which is why they spent the last 48 hours in, in it would seem, almost mourning. They've almost been mourning the death of a man who would lock people in cages and set them on fire. A man who, who raped more women than Genghis Khan. They've, they have almost been, it would seem, upset that he died. Now, let's go to the most uh, infamous example. I know you've seen this by now, but we've really got to break this thing down because it is incredible. The Washington Post, um, Baghdadi dies, and immediately the Post puts up an obituary with this headline. This was their first headline. It said, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, Islamic State's terrorist-in-chief, dies at 48. Now, this, with the way that's phrased, dies, with the, the passive phrasing, it makes it seem like he died peacefully in his sleep of a heart attack or of, you know, died of pancreatic cancer or something. Um, it, it, it doesn't quite let on to the fact that American forces effectively killed him by forcing him to blow himself up. But um, other than that, the headline's fine. Terrorist in chief, sure, that's a fine description. But then comes the headline change, and they change it to a headline that will live forever in infamy. Um, Abu, Abukar al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at the helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. Austere religious scholar. A headline that, as many have, people have been, it, it kind of makes you wonder how they eulogized other famous murderers. Like Timothy McVeigh, noted political activist, dies at 33. Or... John Wayne Gacy, boisterous party clown and children's entertainer, dies at 52. Ted Bundy, famous ladies' man, dies at 42. Adolf Hitler, prominent painter and environmentalist, dies at 56. And so on. Uh, the really amazing thing about this is that Washington Post, it, it, it's, it's the fact that they changed the headline. Okay, so there had to be a real thought process that went into this. There was a discussion. There had to be a discussion that involved numerous people. There had to have been an actual, audible conversation among multiple people at this supposedly respected news organization, and that conversation had to begin with someone saying something like, hey guys, this headline about the serial raping terrorist is a little harsh. Why don't we try to highlight his positive sides a little bit more? Or the conversation could have started with something more like, hey guys, this headline might make people think that Donald Trump did something good. How can we make it seem like less of a victory for him? Um, however the conversation started, this is, this is what you ended up with. Um, and the other amazing thing is that apparently 
you would assume, they didn't think they would get any backlash for it. They were blindsided by the backlash, which is why they ended up changing the headline a second time. It took them three tries to get to a, to get to a headline about something about a very simple story. One of the worst people in the world is dead. Real simple. Um, it took them three tries to get to the right headline. But the fact that, I, again, multiple, multiple people looked at the headline, nodded their heads, and said, yep, perfect. Nobody will have any issue with this. This is great. Which just goes to show why the media embarrasses itself so often and why it is so hated. Because these people who work in the media really don't understand how normal human beings work. And I think that's a problem if you're in the media and your job is to communicate. Your job is to communicate with normal people and tell them what's going on in the world. So if you don't understand how a normal brain works, um, that's going to be a very difficult thing to do. They thought that normal humans would prefer for a terrorist leader to be characterized as a religious scholar. And that is incredible. But, and I haven't seen anyone really point, anyone else really point this out. The, the, the other funny thing here, the irony, is that um, uh, in an attempt to be, to be woke, in an attempt to be tolerant, due to their suffocating fear of being Islamophobic, they only ended up insulting Islam as well. Because think about it, austere in this context means strict or or rigid or you know uncompromising. So someone in a in a religious context, if you say that someone is austere, what you're saying is that they very strictly adhere to the fundamentals of their religion. So if you call Baghdadi an austere scholar of Islam, what you're saying, obviously, is that he is someone who adheres very closely to and understands very well the, the fundamentals of, of, of the religion. That's what it means to be austere and scholarly in this context. So what is the post implying? Are they implying that a strict observance of Islam uh, would lead to ISIS? Now, I know they weren't trying to imply that, but they did. That is what they implied. They forgot that, as in the media, they forgot what they normally do. They, they forgot what their normal line is. And this is what happens when you are so, you know, when, 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 when you're so committed to always going to certain talking points and not necessarily communicating the truth. Sometimes you get mixed up and you forget what your talking point is supposed to be because it can be hard to remember, right, in fairness to them. Um, so they forgot that their talking point is usually... That guys like Baghdadi, guys in ISIS, they don't understand their own religion. They don't know anything about Islam. Uh, they they are, aren't, aren't even really Muslim at all. That's usually their line in the media. They forgot about that, and this time they went with, oh, no, he's a scholar of Islam. This is what happens when, when you try to be woke. This is what happens. Now, it wasn't just the Washington Post embarrassing itself. A lot of media folks were upset by, um, uh, well, sp- specifically, not just the what happened, but also the way that Trump described the death of Baghdadi in his address to the nation was very scandalizing for some of the 
uh, people in, in Washington with very weak stomachs who can't deal with it. So here's a clip of that address from the president. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. Baghdadi's demise demonstrates America's relentless pursuit of terrorist leaders and our commitment to the enduring and total defeat of ISIS and other terrorist organizations. Our reach is very long. He will never again harm another innocent man, woman, or child. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. God bless America. Thank you. Wow. Well, that is, that is really upsetting, isn't it? How could President Trump say such mean things about that poor man? Dog, coward, have some respect, right? This... This is outrageous. Nobody deserves to be spoken of this way. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Right, right, right. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, he definitely does deserve to be spoken of this way. People, some people definitely do deserve to be spoken of like that. Some people are murderous scumbags who bring nothing but death and misery and suffering and oppression to the world. And when they die, the appropriate and right thing is to celebrate and laugh because they are dead. That is the appropriate thing to do sometimes when people die. Uh, the idea that we should respect everyone who dies, of course, is crazy. <laughs> if, if they're not respectable when they live, there's no reason why we have to start respecting them now. And there's no reason why we have to pretend that there's anything uh, solemn about their death when there isn't. So what Trump says here is not only acceptable, but actually the only acceptable way to talk about a piece of garbage when they are finally thrown out as they deserve to be. Yet the media had its feelings hurt again. Um, not just the media, but the D.C. elites as well. And um, those were, by the way, by the way, those were the same people booing Trump at the Nationals game. So it makes a lot of sense. The, the Nationals, their fans are 90% D.C. bureaucrats and lobbyists and lawyers. So if you're getting booed by them, that's, that's I'd be, I would be very upset if you go out onto the, the field at a Nationals game and you don't get booed by these people, that's a bad sign. So the fact that Trump was booed, I think, uh, is, is, a, is a great sign for him and a great honor. Now, here's an example um, of someone who was upset. Dana Shell Smith, a bureaucrat and Georgetown fellow who lists her pronouns in her Twitter bio, just to give you an idea. This is what she said about um, what, what Trump said. Uh, she said, this gruesome, vivid, and probably exaggerated description of dogs chasing down Baghdadi will endanger our personnel in the region. When bin Laden was killed, we were careful to be clear that we had, been, that we had given him a proper Muslim burial. Not because we gave a damn about him, but because it was important for our relationships in the region and safety of our military and diplomats. Also, it's how America rolls, with honor. We don't delight in death like the terrorists do. This description is horrifying. Should go without saying, but to be perfectly clear, I'm remarking on the presser, not on the actual operation. The killing of Baghdadi was unquestionably good and necessary. So uh, she's, she says she's glad the terrorist was killed, but the way that it was described made her tummy hurt, and she's really worried and concerned about that. She's not the only one concerned. 
Uh, Michael Morell, the former deputy director of the CIA, went on Face the Nation to talk about how bothered and concerned he is with the rhetoric surrounding the death of this scumbag terrorist. Listen to this. So let, I'll let Sandy answer the operational military question. Um, but to me, right, this is a great day. We should be really thankful that Baghdadi is gone. And clearly the intelligence community, community and the U.S. military did an amazing job and the president made exactly <coughs> the right decision. And the president thanked Gina Haspel, the CIA Absolutely. director. Um, and I think we'll learn more in the days ahead about what the intelligence was and, and how we got it and, and, and we'll thank even more people. Um, bothered me a little bit some of what the president did in, in, in providing detail about taking back to the United States pieces of Baghdadi's body. It bothered me a little bit hearing the president talk about that some of that Syrian oil being ours, right? Because that's what inspires, that's what inspires um, some extremists. You know, the, the, the oil comments, Margaret, um, really validate, at least it sounds to people like it validates 40 to 50 years of conspiracy theories about what American foreign policy is all about, right? And it's not. Um, so a great, great day, but I think the president could have handled the, the press conference a little bit better. Very bothered. Very, very bothered. I'm, I'm so bothered by this. Poor guy. Of course, this idea from, from the woman that I just read or, or this guy, this idea that we're going to upset ISIS even more because we say mean things about their dead leader. She said it's going to endanger personnel in the region. Right, because ISIS, you know, ISIS, they were big fans of Americans prior to this. They were, they, were, they were totally on board with us, but now that we've said mean things about their dead leader, now they're going to be you know, a little bit testy probably with American personnel. No, of course, ISIS, they already killed Americans. They, they already, it's, you're not going to change nothing. What do they think is going to change now? Um, they, they, they've swore uh, that, you know, they've, they've, they have declared war on the West already, uh, and then we killed their leader. Thank God. So I think those two factors already are, are, that's pretty much all they need. I I don't see how rhetoric is going to add to anything. Are they implying that there are ISIS militants who, you know, uh, weren't already really sold on on, uh, bringing down the West and declaring jihad, but now that they've heard President Trump's unseemly rhetoric, they're saying, you know what, actually, yeah, death to the West. I, I tend to doubt it. All right, um, let's go to a different story here. Important update on a story that uh, we've been talking about. Katie Hill, the congresswoman who had a nasty habit of sleeping with her subordinates, is resigning from Congress. And this is pretty incredible, actually, um, because on Monday, last Monday, we we talked about this story. And at the time, the story was, part of the story anyway, was that nobody was talking about the story. And the media was showing no interest and um, it looked like she was going to get away with these blat- blatant ethical violations. Looked like she would get away with it because the media wasn't paying attention. They just decided they were going to ignore it. Uh, which is one of the reasons why it took Katie Hill several days before she even came out and acknowledged this, this, this story. Uh, when it was first published by Red State, who did great journalism on this, on this by the way. It was several days. She was very lackadaisical in her response because she didn't need to get on top of it. 
the way that I would argue a male politician in her situation would have to. But um, we, much as we did with the James Younger case last week, we pressed this, we spoke out about it, we forced the media to take note, and now she's leaving. And I know we talked about this on Friday, but it's worth reiterating that um, if there is an important story that's going on that the media is trying to bury, one of the great things about the internet, and there are a lot of terrible things about the internet, but one of the great things is that we can use it to force the media to take note of it. We don't have to just sit back and complain about, oh, why isn't anyone talking about this story? If it's an important story we think people should pay attention to, we can bypass the media. So it's not even really, I guess I should stipulate, it's, it's not even so much forcing the media to take note. It's more bypassing them and saying, forget about you. We don't need you. We're going to tell everybody about this. And then when everyone's talking about it anyway, now the, now the media has to swing around and say something about it because it's way too conspicuous that they're ignoring it. So we can do that now, and we did it twice last week with two different stories. And, and this is something we should be doing a lot more often. So um, now she's leaving Congress. She's resigning. But she's not leaving apologetically. She is uh, because she's the victim here. She, and she wants us to know that she is the victim. Let me read for you a little bit of her statement that she published uh, about leaving. Let me see if I can pull this up here. Uh, it says... It is with a broken heart today that I announce my resignation from Congress. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but I believe it is the best thing for my constituents, my community, and our country. This is what needs to happen so that the good people who supported me will no longer be subjected to the pain inflicted by my abusive husband and the brutality of hateful political operatives who seem to happily provide a platform to a monster who is driving a smear campaign built around cyber exploitation. Having private photos of... Um, I just love how already, you know, she, it, it sounds like she's gearing up for some kind of apology where she says, oh, they're no longer to be subjective to the pain inflicted by, and then you think maybe to be my poor choices, but it's by my husband. Having private photos of personal moments weaponized against me has been an appalling invasion of my privacy. It's also illegal, and we are currently pursuing all of our available legal options. However, I know that as long as I am in Congress, We'll live fearful of what might come next and how much it will hurt. That's a feeling I know all too well. It's the feeling I decided to leave when I, uh, I decided to leave when I left my marriage and one I will not tolerate being forced upon others. I can no longer allow my community, family, friends, staff, supporters, and especially the children who look up to me as a role model to suffer this unprecedented brand of cruelty. Think of the children. Think of the children who are upset by the fact that my unethical actions have been exposed. Um, oh, now we're getting to an apology, it looks like. For the mistakes made along the way and the people who have been hurt, I am so sorry. And I am learning. I'm not a perfect person and never pretended to be. It's the one thing that made my race so special. I hope it uh, showed others that they do belong, that their voice does matter, and that they do have a place in this country. That is something I believe with all my heart. I hope it showed the other polyamorous perverts who enjoy having sex with their tax-funded subordinates that there is a place for them in Congress. 
Well, something tells me, Katie, that um, that there that I think those <laughs> there are plenty of, of degenerates in Congress already. So you, I don't I don't think you needed to blaze the way for them. They they were already good. So you're you're really just falling in line with so many others. You're just like them. Um, those of you who know me personally know that I'm a fighter, and it's thanks to countless other fighters who supported me that we were able to stand up for the ideas. Blah 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 blah. blah. I can't even read any more of that. It's just I wanted you to. Get a get just get a hear that because it, it's such a bunch of self pitying nonsense. She was running around having sex parties with with the subordinates who are paid with tax money. Her behavior is wildly unethical, completely unacceptable, and and she is by no means a victim. Now I said last week that you know the whole revenge porn thing and releasing private photos. I, I'm not on board with that. I. I think it's wrong, and uh, and whoever did it probably did break the law, and they should be prosecuted for it. So I'm 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 in agreement there. But as far as she's con- so we can talk about that. But as far as she's concerned, all she should be doing is apologizing. She can leave all of the self righteous. I'm a fighter, and I'll get through this. What are you fighting exactly, Katie? You're fighting again because you were having sex with your subordinates who are being paid with tax money which is at a minimum against the rules in Congress, probably also illegal. And and that's why this happened. Uh, And of course, there there are, you know, we're hearing from plenty of leftists who feel sorry for her and are telling us that she's a victim and how horrible it is for her. Uh, Well, I say now for the 50th time that if she was a man, you know, uh, the nobody would feel sorry for her. Nobody. And she also would not be able to get away with a a resignation statement like that. There, there were back you know, during the heyday of the Me Too movement, when, when men were being uh, t- t- kicked to the curb left and right, there were some guys who, who when, they, when they resigned from whatever position, issued statements sort of like that, where they made themselves out to be the victims. And they were ridiculed for it across the media. And for good reason, most of the time, unless they really were innocent. Um, Yet, we're not seeing the same ridicule here. We're seeing a lot of sort of nodding heads and, oh, poor Katie, poor Katie. Okay. uh, Now, before we get to emails, let's talk briefly about Kanye West. First of all, before we get to the album... um, this, I think, is the biggest headline. Here's Kanye on something called Big Boy TV. I don't even know what that is. But uh, here he is being interviewed about the album, but he starts getting into politics a little bit, and he starts really laying down some facts. And I think this is great. Listen to this. Bro, we brainwashed out here, bro. Come on, man. This is a free man talking. Democrats had us voting Democrats for food stamps for years, bro. What are you talking about? Guns in the 80s, taking the fathers out the home, plan B, lowering our votes, making us abort our children. God should not kill. I think it's really hard to overstate the significance of someone like Kanye West saying what he just said. Now, those of us in the pro-life movement, we've been saying this for years. The Democrats are pushing abortion onto minority populations. And as a result, minority children are being exterminated by the millions. This is an inarguable fact. 
Without abortion, it is also an inarguable fact that the black population, in terms of a percentage of the overall population, will be much, much higher than it is today. Significantly higher. We, we, don't, we can't say exactly how much higher with any precision, but um, considering that in some cities, black children are more likely to be aborted than born, it's not hard to see how the math would generally work out if you didn't have abortion. But the problem the pro-life movement has had is how do we get this message to the people who need to hear it? The cities are all run by Democrats. They control the messaging. The media is run by Democrats. Hollywood, the entertainment industry, the music industry, all of it, far left, all of it Democrat. They're all minions of the abortion industry. They're all on the same page with this. So we need people inside these structures to open their eyes to the truth and start speaking it so that they can reach the populations that we have trouble reaching. That's the significance of what Kanye just did there. And, and to an extent, the significance of um, what he's been doing for a year now. This, to me, I know some people were, you know, made a big deal about it when he came out and supported Donald Trump, which was great that he was speaking his mind on that. But to get away from, rather than just talking politics, to get into these, uh, get into the trenches, basically, on these cultural issues and speak out specifically about something like this. Now, that is enormously significant. And... Um, I would love to see Kanye West perform at the March for Life. I put that suggestion out there on Twitter. That's a serious suggestion. Who knows? And uh, and he's got music that he could perform now at the March for Life, namely the music that came out last week. Jesus is King is the album. And, uh, you know, everyone's been talking about it. It's a big sensation, especially among Christians. Now, it's not very often that, that Christians, uh, conservative Christians anyway, will be you know, f- big fans of a, of a rap album, sort of a rap album, rap slash gospel album. It's just been, looking on Facebook and on Twitter and stuff, there have been people raving about a Kanye West album who I never thought in a million years I would see raving about a Kanye West album. And I think that's, I think that's great. Not, not a complaint at all or a criticism. I think it's awesome. Um, so I think, as for the album itself, I've listened to it maybe three times now. Not hard to do because the album is like 27 minutes long. And that is one complaint I have about it. Many of the songs are way too short and have sort of an unfinished feel to them. Like the song Jesus is Lord at the end of the album. It starts, and for the first 45 seconds, it sounds like it's building to being this great gospel track as the music builds and builds and builds. And then it just stops at 49 seconds, and that's it. And it really feels like that was the beginning of a song and then Kanye forgot to do the rest of the song, so we just got the intro, and, and that was it. Um, but there are also a couple of really good songs, songs that feel complete. Uh, the one with Kenny G, I forget the name of it, but that's probably my favorite. It reminds me of the old Kanye a little bit, um, has shades of college dropout to it, that same sort of vibe, uh, except with Jesus in it. In fact, speaking of college dropout, Kanye's first album, and I think, I think still to this day his best album, and uh, and the best one of the best albums of the century, I think, in any genre. But on that album, he had the song "Jesus Walks," which is one of my favorite songs. And so maybe that was my issue with this with this one a little bit is that I when I heard that Kanye was making a Jesus album, I thought it would be a whole album of Jesus Walks type songs, and uh, but none of the songs on this album quite reach that level. 
and many of them don't even feel like fully complete songs. So that might be affecting my ability to assess it fairly, given my expectations. So here's what I'll say. As for the message of the album, I give that a 10 out of 10. I think it's great. Um, and and, and on, on the message, you know, the other thing that surprised me with, with these songs is this wasn't just superfluous. It, it, it wasn't a shallow kind of Christian music talking points, which is what you get from a lot of Christian music, which is why I don't like Christ, contemporary Christian music. It's very, very surface level. Platitudes, basically what it is. But that's not, he gets into some, he gets in depth and, uh, and talks. I mean, he gets into some, what I would call serious theology in a way. And also talks about the culture, um, resisting sin, you know, obedience to Christ, uh, repentance. I mean, he talks about this on this album. It's like, and that's, and that's, again, most contemporary Christian music, they're not getting anywhere near those subjects. So I was very impressed with that, which is why message wise, 10 out of 10. As for the music, I give it a solid six and a half to seven out of 10. It could be a nine out of 10. If he just goes, I hope he goes back around and finishes the album sometime. Maybe he does a remastered, you know, deluxe, whatever edition of it and, uh, and, and finishes out these songs. I think it has the potential to me, it comes off like a rough draft of a of a Christian sort of gospel rap album. Uh, if he finishes it, which maybe he will, then I think it could go from music-wise pretty good to great. Okay, let's go to emails. MattWallShow at gmail.com. MattWallShow at gmail.com. This is from Abigail. Says, greetings, future overlord. I'm going to disagree with you on something, so please forgive me and don't do me and my entire family to a painful death. I don't know why you'd even bother saying that. If you're disagreeing with me, you know what the penalty is. You have accepted that. And uh, it's out of my hands. I work at an ice cream shop where I swing the iPad around, which gives an option for a tip. I'm a manager, and most of the time I'm by myself and do everything by myself. Take their order, make the ice cream, go outside, clean up after children, adults who are slobs. Uh, my, My sister works at a coffee shop where they take coffee very seriously, and she puts a lot of work into that as well. My point being... Just because people don't physically wait on tables doesn't mean they don't put a lot of work into their service. Again, please don't execute me and my family. Um, first of all, the way that you're groveling to me like that is actually exactly what I would expect in my dictatorship. So I do appreciate that. As far as the thing about tips, listen, it's I'm not, yes, uh, I'm sure that what you do in your job, you, you do work hard. But the tips, it's not just about rewarding people who work hard. Because if tips are about rewarding people who work hard in their jobs, then we would tip everybody. Right? But we don't. I mean, there, there are people who do jobs that you, you, where you would think you would tip them. Considering how hard they work. Considering that what they're doing is important for you, but you can't do it yourself. Uh, considering the service they provide, you'd think you'd tip them. Like, for example, your plumber. Nobody tips your plumber, but if, you, if we're going to tip people who work hard, they provide a service, we don't tip plumbers, though. It's crazy to me that we tip cab drivers, Uber drivers, um, even the guy who, run, who runs the, you know, the complimentary hotel shuttle from the airport to the hotel and back, 
but we don't tip the captain who pilots the plane 30,000 feet in the air and keeps you alive. He's standing there when, you all, when, you're sh- when everyone's shuffling out after the plane lands. He's standing there saying goodbye to everyone. I've never seen anyone flip, uh, slip that guy a five. I think, honestly, we should tip pilots. They've really earned it. But we don't. So it's not really a measure of how hard you work. Some of it is just a social convention where I can't really figure out why we do tip certain people and not others. Um, but... I guess my point is, you know, we know that we tip waiters, we tip delivery drivers, cab drivers, okay. If you're at a hotel, if it's a fancy hotel, you tip everybody. So those are the conventions. I think that's kind of enough. We don't really need to add to it. I think we do enough tipping, and that's my point. If we are going to start adding and tipping more people, then in my opinion, we're not going to go to people who work at coffee shops or ice cream parlors, which is no offense to you, any more than we're going to start tipping podcast hosts. But if we're going to do that, then why wouldn't we start tipping electricians, plumbers, car mechanics? Okay, um, but let's, as I said, let's just let's just stop. We, uh, we, we do enough of the tipping. We all spend enough money as it is, and... Uh, that's it. This is from Matthew says, Dear Matt, my name is Matt and I live in Austin, Texas. I'm a Greek Orthodox Christian, but not, not the best example. I'm a huge fan of your show. It's a blessing to have someone like you in conservative media or any media who's not only brilliant and funny, but also willing to poke fun and be a bit self-deprecating. That's one reason I get nauseated listening to Hannity and those like him, as it seems their primary concern is with letting their listeners know that, they're, that they predicted and said fill in the blank all along. Well, in fairness... If I did predict something, then it happens. I definitely let you know about it, and I will let you know. So that's one of the it's one of the joys of doing a job like this. Um, I have two questions. One, I'm a huge sports fan, especially college football. But as long as I look through Twitter and Facebook and even the news, part of me wonders if perhaps I shouldn't focus on sports so much and maybe try to focus on the current state of affairs. I completely disagree with the quote: "Religion is the opiate of the masses." But part of me has started to wonder if sports has become the opiate, along with TV shows, etc. It seems the only secular items that have been remotely thought-provoking is the Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr specials. Even though I don't agree with them on lots of things, I have tremendous respect for anyone who's willing to speak out um, on the things we're seeing. And then number two, will you come to the University of Texas at Austin and give a talk? I can provide security as I plan to start working out tomorrow. Well, on the second one, yes, I would be happy to come. On the first question, uh, I think... Yeah, we, we, we can tend to over-entertain ourselves. And I think generally in our culture, we are sort of entertaining ourselves to death. But in moderation, I don't see any problem with it. And uh, it, do, it also kind of annoys me. So when, when people are way too focused on, on these kinds of things, and sports and entertainment, that becomes their entire life, unless it's what you do for a job. Outside of that, it becomes your entire life I think that's a problem. But on the other side of it, it also annoys me how, you know, on Sunday you're watching football. And this happens to me. Sunday comes, I'm watching the games, I'm keeping track of it. Maybe I'll post a few things to Twitter, give him my thoughts on what's happening. And without fail, there are always going to be people who respond, oh, all these things are happening in the world, and, you know, you got ISIS and Syria and everything, and, and you're talking about this? 
Well, yes, those other things are important, but I don't have to spend 100% of my time thinking about and talking about all of the important things in the world. Nobody does. That's not, that's no way to live. That would be a strange way for a human being to live. And I don't think any human is capable of living like that. So there are going to be moments when you're focused on things that aren't as important. And, and I think that that's one of the joys of sports. That's why I like going to you know, watch a football game or something. Or you go to any stadium to watch any sport. I think one of the joys is it, of it is that you're all there. You're focused on the game. Um, it's not very important. But it's a break from all the madness that's going on, on outside. So for, for those three or four hours... You're going to really care about this game, which doesn't matter, but that's the part of the attraction of it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we need that. We need those breaks, and we need to be able to focus on things that aren't important. So there's a balance there. Um, and there's also a balance in, I think, you have very uninteresting and bland and boring people who all they care about is pop culture and watching TV. And that's all they can talk about. And these are people without personalities, barely even human anymore, uh, because their mind has been replaced by a glowing screen. So you've got that. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I think you have people who are incapable of caring about or talking about entertainment, sports, that sort of thing. And I think those people also are very bland and uninteresting and have given up their personality. So I think as human beings, it's sort of a balance. Um, so there was that. Okay, let's see. One last. Well, we'll save this one for tomorrow, actually. Matt Walsh Show at gmail.com is the email address again uh, for any emails you want to spend. We'll leave it there, though. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Robert Sterling, associate producer Alexia Garcia Del Rio, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Donovan Fowler. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. If you prefer facts over feelings, if you aren't offended by the brutal truth, if you can still laugh at the nuttiness filling our national news cycle, well, tune on in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. We'll see you there. Mm-hmm. 